0: Hi. Hi, Ben.
1: <laughs> Hi. Uh,
0: welcome, Ben, to episode 120 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. Uh, you are Ben Lindbergh in New York, New York. I am still. Uh, yes, I'm Sam Miller in Long Beach, California. We are here with Email Wednesday. We have some good emails and some good ones that we probably won't even get to. So, thank you to the people who asked questions that we won't have time to get to. but. We have some things to talk about. Um, so are you ready for me to read an email to you? Yes, please. All right. So this one is um, – I, 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 well, this one – okay. So this is from a, 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 a gentleman named Aaron who uh, says, I'd like Ben to play GM of the Diamondbacks and Sam to play GM of the White Sox. I'd like you to act as the GM, not try to emulate the actual GM. Now – Negotiate and finalize a trade centered around Justin Upton for Chris Sale. And I just want to note that I think that this is um, a great idea for an exercise. And I think that I would be willing to take on such challenges in the future. I think um, we will be horrible at this tonight uh, because we've never done it.
1: We would need uh, a more comprehensive knowledge of both the Diamondbacks L- R- the and White yeah. Sox systems than we have without uh, preparing at length. But yeah, yeah I think ob- it's a it's a good idea. And also,
0: yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, we also have never done it before. I think if we did it more times, we would probably would get better at it. Um, I don't know. It might be a thing that would work better in text, or it might not. But I'm willing to give it a go, because I like the idea behind it. Me too. So the other thing, though, is that um, in looking at your roster, Ben... <laughs> Uh Yeah, Diamondbacks. Uh, It seems that there are few things that you need less than my uh, my pitching. You you have uh, something like seven credible starters at this point in time, Um, and all of them are well. Some of them are more credible than others.
1: Yeah, I Um, traded a pretty good young one already this winter.
0: That's exactly right. And uh, the team that trades Trevor Bauer is not usually going to be the team that trades for Chris Sale. Right. Um, Currently, MLB.com lists Daniel Hudson as the seventh starter in your rotation. Um, and uh, Pretty good. so that sort of gives you an idea <laughs> about what kind of a rotation we're talking about. But um,
1: You sound a little
0: jealous. I would be happy to have – in fact, uh, can we undo the Daniel Hudson trade? From a
1: <laughs> no backseas on that one.
0: Because uh, that one didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh I think what did I get ultimately out of that? I, I got Edwin Jackson like Jason Sir something like that.
1: Uh, let's see, just checking my records. Uh, I think I,
0: yes. Daniel Hudson
1: was traded with David Holmberg to uh, the Diamondbacks for Edwin Jackson.
0: And then Edwin Jackson was traded to Toronto, mm-hmm. or rather to St. Louis via Toronto. Uh, for like uh, I'm trying to remember like
1: Santa. Uh, he was traded with Mark Tien or oh, we're talking about traded by the Diamondbacks to the White Sox uh, and then traded by the White Sox with Mark Tien to the Blue Jays for Jason Fraser and Zach Stewart
0: yeah so I think this is actually how most trade conversations go uh, a rehashing of trade. <laughs> <laughs> very little uh, memory of those trades. Yes, but anyway, it was all a blur. Um, you're, the, the thing is, though, that while Chris Sale might not be your preferred return, I think in this case, uh, I think we both know that you don't have any choice but to trade Justin Upton. At this point, uh, Chris Sale is, is, a, um, is an extremely desirable commodity, and so you'll make room, right?
1: Well, I can't argue with that. I've been trying desperately to trade Justin Upton for the past three years.
0: All right, so we'll just uh, throw... <sighs> Miguel Montero and Tyler Skaggs, and then well, I think I can, well, that, that works.
1: Let's do it. <laughs> I don't really understand many of the moves I've made this winter.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I think that in general, though, um, to be totally sincere, these aren't probably two teams that match up real great. They have. Uh, it seems that they have some of the same strengths and weaknesses. Um, Upton, to be honest, doesn't really fully fit into my team either i um would much rather have a third baseman for instance and maybe a second baseman and maybe a catcher than another outfielder um although Viciato is not uh you know my favorite player in the world but he's 23 and he's coming off a a, you know a decent year a pretty good year he can kind of hit um i uh I think that – I'm surprised that the White Sox uh, – looking at the White Sox roster, I would think that um, Eric Chavez would fit very well on this team, especially in a uh, platoon with Jeff Kefinger. Um But, like, I think that if I were interested – I think from the White Sox perspective, if I wanted to trade Sale for Upton, uh, I would expect to get the extras in the deal. I think that Sale is a more valuable commodity right now than Upton, and so I guess that's the question. Do you agree? Do you think that that's true?
1: Uh, I guess I would say that, yeah, I agree with that. At least after factoring in the contract. If I if we were talking about only the players, I don't know that I would say that. I might I might take the the dependability of the position player, who doesn't look like he's a member of an alien race when he's pitching. But, um, but but yeah, but with the contract and the fact that, that sale is so young and cheap, uh, yes, I would say he's probably more valuable.
0: Yeah. Well, it's only, I mean, it's basically one more year of control, but, um, uh, yeah, it's a, that's a big year. Um, so I would think that, yeah, so we're in agreement on that. So I would think though, that if, um, that, that that it's close enough that I wouldn't expect a, a big return besides Upton, um, Holmberg, who you named uh, mm-hmm. part of the Edwin Jackson deal is actually you know the sort of player that I might think would come back in that deal. Uh, He's a double-A pitcher with good strike-out-to-walk ratio, pitchability. And so basically he's a guy who is low upside but low ceiling uh, and fairly close to the majors right now as a a, a starting pitcher. So I could see that being the kind of thing that would appeal to the White Sox. Uh, The Diamondbacks have a catcher locked up for four years, so I could see – uh, scouring their minor league catching depth. Unfortunately, the only two catchers worth a darn in their system are both, um, like, in rookie ball or below. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a an, an upside 20-year-old catcher might be something that would fill out the trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really have a bad contract that I would think that they would want to move.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess... Uh, yeah, not, not particularly... Um, it's Kubel, kind of, but you're not going to take up the Kubel, so.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh well, I was going the other way. I was. Oh, White Sox. Oh. Uh, I mean, the, Rios is is a bit overpaid, and and mm-hmm. Danks is, but.
1: I guess uh, I guess Dunn is kind of a bad contract now.
0: Yeah, you're not going to probably have much luck trading him to the NL. No. You're probably not going to be a lot of money going one way or the other. Um, So, anyway, Upton Upton and uh, and, uh, Holmberg and some 22-year-old catcher who nobody's ever going to hear of again for Chris Sale. Is that a deal? (laughs) Uh,
1: Let me talk to my people. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. I think if if Rick Hahn and Kevin Towers are listening to this, uh, they probably can... Just take this as a sign that they shouldn't even talk about this trade. It probably won't go that much better.
0: They probably haven't,
1: Mm -hmm. actually. No.
0: All right. All right. Just say it's a deal.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sure. I I like making deals (laughs) because I'm Kevin Towers.
0: All right. All right. Uh, so next is uh, – this is a very quick one. It's a gentleman named Sean who says, piggybacking off your who has the farm system to get Justin Upton segment yesterday, uh, segment. That, I think that adds an uh, officialness to the show. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's really just one segment every day.
0: Uh, we went on a tangent. Uh, but who do you feel have the top three to five or so farm systems in baseball? I'm only answering this uh, because – well, I don't know. I, don't, I certainly don't have the expertise to, uh, to add value to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, would, uh, I would just note that Jim Callis actually answered this at Baseball America. And if you want our opinion instead of Jim Callis, it really doesn't matter what we tell you because you are an idiot. Uh, so- Sean is simply – getting as many good opinions as he can but jim callis's opinion is the best um, uh, in this current discussion right now between me and ben and jim callis and so jim ranked them a couple weeks ago or a week ago or so and it was the cardinals number one uh the mariners number two the marlins number three the rangers number four the red Sox number five and then the rays number six and um so i don't have any Quibbles with that. I'm. I mean, I guess there are things that surprise me. I'm surprised that the Red Sox are quite that high, mm-hmm. but they, I mean, I know they have a good system. It's just a little higher than I would have expected, um, and I'm slightly surprised that the Marlins are that high. I got the sense that they were. This um, was to say they were a little lower than that, um, but obviously it's a good system as well.
1: Yeah. Well, if you want to hear what someone at BP who actually uh, writes about prospects for a living, Thanks. we will have our own rankings uh, somewhere towards the end of the offseason once Jason Parks and the rest of the prospect crew finishes running through all the top tens. Um, otherwise, I guess, uh, I mean, he Jason did mention that he thought the Padres were a top five system when he did the Padres list uh, recently.
0: That's interesting. You're right. He did, and I—that was—I I would have expected to see the Padres very high, um, top maybe two, based on kind of what I hear, and also where they were last year, and when you look at the promotions that they did or didn't get made. Um, and the Padres actually aren't on Calis's top ten, which um, shows that this is not something that there's always a ton of uh, of groupthink on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm very surprised by that. Yeah. As, when when the um, when we talked about the TikTok of the Marlins Blue Jays trade and the Marlins had identified the three best systems in baseball, do you remember who they were? One was the Blue Jays. Uh, I think one.
1: Was, what what was the second one? You cut out. Rangers. Yeah, that sounds familiar.
0: I thought the Padres were the third one.
1: Maybe you can find that. But yeah, when we're talking about an entire system or a snapshot of a whole system, I sort of feel like to an extent I'm just parroting other people. um, Because, well, I might have a more informed perspective about certain prospects, especially notable prospects. Um, It's kind of tough to have a great sense of an entire system from top to bottom. Without putting a lot of time into that And to rank every system You have to have a good sense of All 30 systems from top to bottom Which takes a a lot of time and expertise Or reading of what other people Who have that expertise say And repeating it back
0: Uh, The third team that was identified by the Marlins As the top three uh, systems in baseball Was the Royals And the Royals also are not on calluses Top ten, but of course, a lot has happened uh, to the royal system since that was made, and they gave their, they traded their best prospect and probably their best pitching prospect, uh, as well as a couple of other pretty good prospects away. So mm-hmm. that. Okay. Um, so then we have a question from Doug. Uh, and I, I don't know that we'll go that deep into this question, but it's an interesting point that I wanted to make earlier. Um, and I'm just going to skip ahead. Um, could we quantify the effect of PEDs? Well, okay. I'm trying to figure out how much of this I need to, to, to answer, but, uh, basically this question is about the hall of fame. It's about bonds. I'm initially inclined to think any player testing positive should be ineligible for the hall, but I do think we can start to have an intelligent debate about the effect the whole PEDs didn't teach bonds to hit a baseball argument seems to be rather banal to me if they didn't help him significantly why would he risk his own personal health etc and yes while mlb did not have an effective testing program peds were always against league rules they were just not effectively policed so could we quantify the effect of peds it appears from the investigator the investigations that he likely began using in 1998 We can take his Pacota projections based on aging and historical performance levels and use that as a baseline, compare what his actual performance was to those projections. Uh, So I uh, I just want to use this actually to talk about a somewhat related topic, which is um, that uh, I feel like maybe the biggest – thing right now in the Hall of Fame voting, between the difference between people who would vote for no uh, PED users and the ones who are willing to basically overlook it and vote based on performance is a disagreement about how much the effects of the PEDs were. There is some science out there um, that is limited, I think, considerably by the fact that we don't know the precise day. That every player starts using and stops using, and we don't know the precise steroids that they are using, and we also have the sample size issues. But the whole thing basically is there's a lot of um, there's a lot of interference to to the information. Um, but there's some science that seems to suggest that it doesn't it hasn't helped baseball players that uh, it uh, it hasn't shown a considerable effect in steroids users' performance, and many people and I think that I would consider myself currently at least momentarily to be of this viewpoint um that think that it is essentially a non-issue for performance and that these players did in fact use them uh because they thought that it would make them better but that it did not make them better
1: um so you believe that on the whole or even in the case of someone like bonds who at an age when it's extremely unusual for a player to improve let alone improve by as much as he did uh Started doing things that no player has ever done before.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing is that I uh, it defies belief to think that that's true. Yes, and silly to believe that that's true. Um, but probably I think that that's mostly true. Um, and, or and and I mean I, I I don't feel confident in my opinion. Um, I could be very easily swayed by a well written report tomorrow. Uh, But currently, based upon the well-written reports that I've read, I think that as unlikely as it is, that that's probably the best information that we have. So I asked recently um, on the Twitter um, whether... uh, I asked people two questions. One is how many home runs they think Bonds would have hit in 2001 had he not used any performance-enhancing drugs. And then uh, secondly, I asked them whether they currently support Barry Bonds for the Hall of Fame. And the idea was to see whether there was a big gap between the people who... Uh, do support and don't support as to how much effect steroids had, in their opinion. And the uh, the problem is that out of those, I don't know, maybe 60 or so responses I got, I think there were three that said they wouldn't support Bonds for the Hall of Fame. Everybody else who follows me did support him, which um, is sort of surprising, um, but that's probably the kind of standard internet-y view, baseball fan's view. Um, but the average... Home runs that they thought he would have hit was 59, and I don't quite know what that number says. On the one hand, 59 is considerably lower than 73. On the other hand, it is considerably higher than anything he had ever done before, and so it is it is accepting the theory, the thesis that Barry Bonds at age 37 or whatever did something that he had never done before and by you know by a considerable amount. So it seems that there's a bit of ambivalence between people who um, do give steroids some effect, uh, but also uh, th- kind of limit the effect that they think it gives. So anyway, uh, this I've been talking a really long time.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, with bonds, it's almost if you're going to vote against bonds, I mean, if you if you don't put someone like Palmero or McGuire or Sosa on your ballot, it could be because you think that the steroids made them. Uh, Better enough That they are Hall of Famers statistically and wouldn't have been had they not taken anything. And I think, I, I mean, maybe that's defensible given that they're kind of borderline statistical candidates or certainly not shoe-ins uh, just purely based on stats. But Bonds, of course, is purely based on stats and probably was before he is supposed to have done anything, right? So, I mean, if you... If you are not putting bonds on your ballot, then it, it seems to be more of a, a moralistic stance, I think.
0: Maybe. Yeah, I, I I guess it is. And that's um so imagine though that instead of steroids, imagine that, that Barry Bonds had actually come out uh, with a baseball bat that would hit a home run every time, you know? Or it would hit a home run every sixth time. No matter what he did, all he had to do is just put this bat out there and it would automatically hit a home run every sixth time. And that Barry Bonds at this point in his career was um, was actually the worst player in baseball, but he had this bat that did all of the work for him. Um, I don't think we would consider it moralizing for voters to penalize a player who used that bat. Um, and I think that there are people who are voting against Bonds or against Palmero, I mean, maybe Bonds muddies the water a bit because, like you say, he has this performance before and same with Clemens, but uh, I think there are people who are voting against those guys who really think that steroids is essentially that magic bat, and um, that is, like, that's not a, an opinion that I hold, but it, at least it's a it's a reasonable one. It's an understandable one, and it's a sort of, to some degree, it's a, a logically consistent one, Um and so I think that there's a bit of vilifying of, of voters who won't vote for steroids users um, based on the idea that they're all just moralizing, uh, judgmental um, uh, stone throwers. And I'm not sure that that's true. I mean, it, it really is. It seems to me that, that the question that we just were asked by Doug, which is, how much do steroids help? Is not a question that has been answered, and even if it has been answered to some degree, it hasn't been answered conclusively. And th- there's a there's room for an extremely wide range of opinions about that question. And if you happen to think that that they turn um, uh, utility second baseman into 45 home run MVP candidates, um, and that they're basically just a, a magic um, you know a magic trick that players can use. Yeah. Then um, it seems like it's reasonable to vote against those guys. It's not how I would vote, but I don't h- actively hate people who feel that way.
1: Right. Well, well, we know for sure that it's not a a magic potion in every case, as people often cite the the examples of Alex Sanchez or or you know some marginal player who's known to have used steroids and and didn't immediately become Barry Bonds. So. So we know, I guess, with some certainty that it is not something that will in every case produce a a gigantic improvement. I guess I'm willing to entertain the possibility that it could in particular instances and possibly even in Bonds's case, whether because of what he took and how he took it or what specific cocktail he was using. Or just because of his physiology, and and maybe there was something about his body and the way Barry Bonds worked physically that made him, uh, you know, able to take advantage of it in a way that most players wouldn't. Um, I guess in general I'm sort of in the agnostic, we don't know what the effect is, we can't quantify the effect camp, but I certainly wouldn't dismiss anyone who concludes that steroids helped Barry Bonds uh, just purely based on his his aging curve and his trajectory I think it's uh, at least a reasonable position
0: Yeah and, and just quickly with Sanchez you know that Sanchez got swept up in the Mitchell report maybe he was using 10 times the steroids Bonds was or maybe he did it you know maybe he got one shipment of HGH and he did it and you know it made him sick to his stomach and he never did it again. I mean you don't you don't really know even what Alex Sanchez did. True. I, I agree with you. I'm on I'm on the same side as you. So I agree, but I'm just I think that for a person, you know, I think there is room for people to to disagree reasonably about this. So how many home runs would Bonds have hit in 2001 if he had never illegal substance?
1: Uh, man. That's such a difficult question. I guess, I mean, what was his, his previous high before then was 49?
0: 49?
1: I think. So he had 49 and that's in 2000 when, I, I guess that's after he, uh, is supposed to have started doing things. So before that, I guess it would have been 46 when he was a 28 year old in 1993. Uh, man, I mean, it's just such an outlier. He never hit 50 in any other season, and he hit 73 in that season. And I guess you could say uh, if he was taking the same sort of steroids for that whole several-year period, why would he have hit 40-something every year except that one? Um, I don't know. I, I guess it's just so hard for me to expect that a... 36-year-old player would improve that dramatically on a previous career high. I I guess, I mean, I could see it being 50-something, I guess. And I mean, maybe it's possible that he just became so selective at that age. Players typically improve in that sense, or, or their walk rate goes up and they become more selective. And maybe with him, he was selective enough already that it kind of pushed him past the point where he was just able to let every bad pitch go by and hit only the good pitches, and it all just came together in, in a perfect storm of home run hitting. Um, I'm avoiding the question. I guess, uh, I don't know, 55?
0: All right. So now we know what you think. You think that home runs produced, in that case, a 33% improvement in performance.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Not confident at all in that number. have no evidence to prove that that's the case, but I guess that's the gut feeling.
0: All right. Well, I'm glad you didn't ask me because I have no idea. (laughs) So we'll be back tomorrow with our own topic, maybe.